getting a joint rolled up too while I do this. This is the Cole Memo. I'm your host, Cole Preston. Every episode is released in audio, video, and transcript format. To find the transcript, audio, or video version of any episode, please refer to the description of the episode that you're listening to now. Within that description, you can find a link that will take you to our website, which will display the transcript for this episode and the platforms where you can find this episode in audio and video formats. If you're unable to locate the episode description on whichever platform you're listening from, simply note the episode number and visit thecolememo.com. From there, you can find the corresponding episode, and then you'll be able to access the audio, video, and transcripts. You might also find any links that we reference during this episode so that you might be able to do your own research. That's always encouraged. If you're not listening to this episode of The Cole Memo on Patreon, then you're listening to this episode later than our patrons. To become a patron, go to thecolememo.com slash Patreon. Once again, that's thecolememo.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It's a great way to directly support our show. If you didn't know, our show is supported by listeners like you. Uh, But of course, one of the best ways to support our show is free. Subscribe to or follow our show. Leave us a positive review from wherever you're listening to us from. Favorite this episode, give it a thumbs up. Your engagement and support is appreciated. Today is January 19th, 2024, and I am rolling up a joint at long last with uh, a friend, I, I think uh, somebody who's going to become a friend of mine, Stephen Philpot. Now, is it Stephen or Steve? I should have asked you before I came on air. Uh, no, you're good. My name's Stephen, but I go by Steve. Cool. Steve, thanks for uh, sitting down with me today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to my audience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess real quick, I am um, born and raised in Chicago. Um, went to high school out in the in the suburbs, home of Flossmoor High School. Um, after high school, I went straight to the Marine Corps. Um, served in the Marines for four years. Um, was going to do a career, but actually broke my leg while I was on deployment. Um, ended up having a bunch of surgeries. And, um, you know, when you get surgeries that you get screws in your legs. They like to give you opioids. That's right. Um, and at the time, I was very fortunate because I was in as soon as the NFL started talking about to cut concussions and TBIs. The Marine Corps and military were also talking about it at the same time. A lot of people were exposed to explosions while they were deployed. And I was in an artillery unit. So explosions was like part of the job description. (laughs) Yeah. You shoot cannons. Um, but it was really, um, really, really eye-opening when they gave me those opioids. Um, I had some pretty wild nightmares, hallucinations, just, you know, you take, it says take as needed. So the first Percocet, you're like, um, I can tell it reduced the pain, but I need more. The second one, you're like, this is good. But a third one would help me sleep. And at the point that you're taking opioids to help you get to sleep, when it's time to come off of them, it's just really difficult. So long story short, man, I knew a guy who overdosed on the same pills that I was taking, um, recovering from my surgery. And it kind of just, I don't know, the concept just freaked me out. Like, I know I know it's legal, but he died taking something that was legal and I'm not interested. So uh, one of my buddies, best friends, business partner, um, Earl Lawrence, um, he had cancer when he was younger and he was the first person I knew to consume. And it was for a medical reason because he had cancer when he was younger. Um, and I had like done the, the, I didn't, I didn't inhale before. Um, 
but this was the first time he was like, no, man, if you don't like those opioids, like try this. And six foot bong, gravity bong, like gas mask joints. And honestly, like as crazy as it sounds to people for three days, I didn't take um, Percocet. And I had a metal plate that had been drilled on my leg. So this was real pain. Um, yeah. And that kind of sent me off like that was the Alice in Wonderland. Like, all right, now I need to know more. Um, so, yeah, this was 10, 11 years ago. I got out the military 2023. Wow. Well, thank you for your service. And I'm sorry that, that that's, you know, something that you came out of the service with, but I am glad you found cannabis along the way, you know, Absolutely. and that it was able to help you, um, which is always the hope. Well, um, I was reminded we have been chatting for a while about doing a show and I was reminded of your name when I was in a Chicago normal meeting the other day. I, I can't remember exactly how it came up, but I guess it was one of your students. They said, yeah, my professor, uh, Stephen Philpot. And I was like, why does that name sound familiar? And I like started searching through my phone and I was like, oh, I've been talking to this person. But, um, and that's why I messaged you and I was like, Hey, I just heard your name in this meeting. So in case you wanted more context on that, that's, yeah. Oh, that that's pretty awesome. I mean, we'll get more into like I gave you my background, but my cannabis experience was like a 180. Yeah. But it was a it was a pivot in the right direction, and part of it was bringing students with me. Like anybody who wanted to know education, every time I learned something, every time I read like a new research paper, I was like, hey, you know that stuff I just taught you all last semester. Research came out, and as a professor, like I'm open to change. I'm like, hey, the stuff we learned last semester. there's more information now. And they were like, oh, we're still learning. I'm like, so now you see why the industry is in such flux because it's not stable. So I'm glad that my student uh, had something good to say. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And uh, why don't we, yeah, talk about how, uh, so you basically just told us how you found cannabis, but yeah, do you mind running us through how you got professionally involved in cannabis? I feel like that's a cool story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So Um, once I got out the military, um, I was interested in fitness, obviously, because when you break your leg and get a metal plate in your leg and the peak shape of like military fitness, a lot of changes. Like I gained weight, you know what I mean? I felt very different um, and I just wanted to know. That's all I wanted to know. So I took my GI Bill. The first thing I did was I got my associates in fitness and exercise, became a group trainer, personal trainer. Um I worked with senior citizens and like special populations all the way to like young athletes who were training for like college and stuff. Um, after I got my associates in fitness and exercise, I was like, I'm a little more curious if there's more to exercise. There's something deeper about health and wellness and mental health. Like just as a black man growing up, we hear a lot of our like African traditions and stuff and drum circles. And you're like, oh. I don't know about these drum circles. And now you get older and like you can pay to go get sound healing with drum circles. Right. So um, I got my bachelor's in kinesiology and a minor in nutrition. So kinesiology is the study of human mechanics, how the body works, like how do you walk, like all the way down to the physiology of like your inner workings, what makes your heart beat, your circadian rhythm. Um I did that for six to eight years, coached D1 sports, um, coached in the NCAA, coached pro sports. I was a sports scientist where I used to travel around the country and collect data on athletes. So I would get to sit on the sideline with an iPad and I'd see like, all right, 
you know, your point guard has run three miles, you know, your center hasn't run more than, so we had numbers on everybody live in sports and we would help people essentially reduce their stress and increase their performance. That's the number one thing athletes want to do. Reduce stress, increase performance. Well, one, I found out that no matter what the data shows, mental stress will decrease your performance. Even if you're in peak physical, I mean, like prime, you have prepared for this your entire life for this one moment. And if you're undergoing mental stress, your numbers will actually drop. Your body just will not respond. Um, so I got super interested in that concept, obviously having been injured before. Um, and during COVID, I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> when COVID hit, um, I decided to make a change and we had just legalized. Um, I had already been consuming. I did the like from CBD to like vaping to like flour to like the appreciation of flour kind of blowing my mind open and turning it into something else. I got certified through the Trichome Institute in 2019 and uh, shout out to Max Montrose. And then after that, um, I decided to apply for a job at a dispensary. Now, you know this, and this is the this is the stuff we're going to get into. This is your investigative uh, journalism uh, that I like. So I was getting calls from people I'd never met before, essentially saying, hey, are you a veteran? Hey, you're black, right? Okay, do you live in a community that's disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs? I'm like, damn, that last one was real specific. Like, what? And people would be like, um, do you want to have majority ownership in a cannabis company? And I was just like, okay, like, you know, I was born at night, but not last night. So what's the catch? And they'd be like, oh, no, you know, there's no catch. And I'm like, why are you calling me to offer me an opportunity? And and then I started reading the laws and it was like, oh, if 50% of the people who you employ, right, are of this certain designation, you get the designation, whether, right, you are of social equity or not. Right. Um. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to do that, but I do want to work in the industry because I, if, it, if it's going to be legal, I don't know anybody who's going to get a business. This is before we knew what an MSO was. We were still just going, cool, it's going to be legal. People in California and Colorado were telling us, guys, look out. You're going to see a grandma, okay? She's really a wolf. She's going to be dressed up like a grandma, though. So um, all that to say, the first company that hired me, they didn't actually tell me their name until I got there. And who it ended up being, I was an inventory manager and, and an agent in charge, AIC, for a Pharmacan for Verilife. So I started off working in the in the suburbs. They have a dispensary in the suburbs. I forgot what it's called. That was a medical facility that they had bought and changed. So it was half medical, half rec as soon as we went rec. And then eventually the medical went out and it was all recreational. So I saw that happen like month by month. I saw all the changes that were going on when we legalized. It was very unstable. Um, so from there, I helped them open the store in Rosemont. There's one out by the airport. You know, there's a little plaza by Rosemont. Um, Verilife has a dispensary over there. Beautiful dispensary. Um, but the issue, you know, we were saying is it's very corporate. It looks like an Apple store. Um, and then the dispensary that ended up being my home store was downtown in River North. So in my mind, I was like, if I'm a dispensary manager, downtown, River North, come on, man. Like, you're telling me we can't make enough money to where all the employees can, you know, get bonuses and we can hit our numbers. 
first off, our store was like not labeled, right? Because it was a dispensary. It couldn't be, you couldn't identify it. You couldn't find it. Yeah. So it was just like that. And, when, you know, the culture was very, very washed out of everything. If you've ever seen Farmer Can's labels, they have the most unexpected, like, you know, it just, it doesn't catch your eye. There was not a lot of marketing and stuff to it. So we had issue keeping up with our competitors. And I think what kind of did it for me when I wanted to definitely move along is when the inventory I realized was from all of our competitors. So when you see the manifest that you're getting as an inventory manager, you can see every shipment of every company. And I'm like, okay, we're Farmer Cam, but we're getting this from Cresco. We're getting this from GTI. So we all sell the same stuff at every dispensary. That's more of a Walgreens than that is like a California or a Denver dispensary. That's a rinse and repeat. So I met the CEO of my company. He was really, really cool, actually, to be honest. I don't know who he was. I don't remember his name. But because we were downtown, you know, their headquarters is downtown and they, they would often come over there and eat lunch in the dispensary. I'm like, hey, I don't think they're supposed to even legally be in the building. Like, but the thing was, like, they would come over there and they were chilling. And one day I told the CEO and I were talking about, like, the science of cannabis and stuff. He was like, man, you're super smart. You're not going to be here long. And I was like, oh, what? He was like, yeah, yeah, no, you're not going to be here long because, like, this is retail. And he was very transparent. He was like, it's retail. Or, like, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't beat around the bush. He was just like, Yeah. this is retail. And, like, the stuff you're talking about is very, very, very high level. He and I were talking about intermittent fasting. That's what we were talking about. Yeah. And I was talking about how the cannabis that we sold downstairs was related to, like, metabolism and human physiology. And he just kind of looked at me like, bro, what? Right. Yeah, no, no, you're gonna, you're definitely gonna want to go somewhere else because this is retail. So that's when I enrolled um, in a master's degree at Chicago State and um, in environmental biology. Yeah. To your point there, it, I like that he that they were so honest about it because it is at least in Illinois, it is very much like that. And an analogy I can make is like, you don't have to be a medical expert from what I understand to work at like GNC or one of those like health supplement stores. You don't have to be, you don't really have to like be certified or, or be a mechanic to work at AutoZone. But people might approach you at that job and ask you like a fucking really nuanced question and you're just supposed to be like, bro, we sell oil and the tools like you got to figure that shit out. I'm not like a mechanic. So but to your point, that's how they've structured these stores in Illinois where it's like it's just a retail front and really like the, the, all of that nuance that you were like discussing and thinking about and like trying to help people with. He like very quickly and bluntly was just like, yeah, dude, that's way above what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to give people boxes, get them in, get them out, make some money, <laughs> you Yeah. know? I mean, I was like, I was trying, I had um local artists and I was just like, Hey, you know, we have boring designs. I'm trying to talk to corporate and see if we can get cool designs that are driven, like written, you know, um, marked up by local artists Right. and we can right, highlight like local, like that would be a great partnership. Don't you think this giant business might look better and just disappear? They were like, we have so many other things to focus on. You think we care about that? And I'm like, You don't understand the revenue that you're looking for. The culture is part of what you're missing. And after a while, I was like, oh, I'm not even this isn't the place for this. Like, Mm -hmm. Right.
I can do this other places. So while I was enrolled in my master's doing my own research, I also taught at Olive Harvey. So you're talking about my student, um, Olive Harvey, when we went rec, um, they got a license. One of seven colleges received a license through the Illinois Department of Agriculture, um, through the vocational college cannabis program, something like that. Um, but the license gave seven colleges an opportunity to grow, uh, to cultivate, manufacture, extract, test, process, and transport cannabis. And when I heard that, I was like, yo, Olive Harvey's like 10 minutes from Chicago State. And I, I called them. I was like, what are you all doing with it? You have this amazing license. And they were like, we're not really sure what to do yet. But I knew that they already had like donations from the MSOs. You know what I mean? Um, they already had donations from Cresco, GTI for that, that greenhouse that was behind the school. Mm. Um, and part of, through part of my research, I knew researchers that were getting like state funds to do hemp research. Yeah. So originally the license was to do marijuana research. I said, if you do marijuana research on a state like campus, like an academic institution that's funded by the state and the federal government, you'll lose your FAFSA. Right. And they were like, oh, I said, yes, it's still schedule one funds. Like, mm -hmm. so what you can do is you can grow hemp and you can use it as a proxy. Like floor, like as a biologist, cannabis, the species is one species. Right. There's no hemp, there's no marijuana. So what we did was we registered in the Midwest Hemp Database Program and the Cultivar Check Program. And I had like 15 students um, that came into the greenhouse every day after class. And they were some of the first students to grow hemp at an academic institution in the city of Chicago. And I taught them about, you know, physiology. I taught them about living soil, hydroponics, humidity, uh, UV radiation. Like we got so in depth. Um, I think a couple, three or four of my students actually have licenses now. Um, so it was a very, very impactful class. I really liked it. And to be honest, you know, I won't go too in depth, but if it wasn't for, you know, traditional academia and politics, like that program could have really been something. Um, from what I've heard, they haven't been growing since. That greenhouse is still there. You can go see it right now. Um, but yeah, all everybody who taught in the department with me, no longer there. The only person left is is the dean. So um, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Like I Googled it. It looks like it was called the Illinois Community College Cannabis Vocational Pilot Program. A lot of words. Yep. That's the one. Yeah. But the other seven colleges, you know, the, the purpose of that that bill was the reason is community colleges. I learned this community colleges are made to increase workforce. Mm. They're not like bachelors and graduate programs. So if you go to a community college, it's for you to get a skill to get a job. So when the state put that clause in there, it was for those seven community colleges to help people get jobs in this new industry that's supposed to be worth a gajillion dollars. Right. Well, what we found out is the turnover rate is insane. Hourly workers in cannabis. When I was an inventory manager, we were constantly hiring for our hourly salaries because people weren't trained to the standards of what they needed to work in such a regulated retail store. Like, yes, it's retail. Yes, everybody likes to, you know, consume, but this is retail. Like this biotracks, the all this stuff, like there's specific protocols, there's SOPs, and there's like somebody who was a Marine, I worked in an armory. So working in the cage in the vault, it made perfect sense to me. Like 
you got to close certain doors, you got to open right. in a certain way, like there's standards. And a lot of people would be like, mm-hmm. come on, man. Yeah. Come on. And I'm like, like do hey. I really have to close the door type of thing? <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And it's just like, hey, you know, if I tell you that the state police do random inspections, how'd you feel about that? And it's like, right. oh, yeah. Okay. So a lot of people complain about like the legal cannabis side, but they don't have the experience. Mm-hmm. So I was fortunate enough to, as a vet, disabled veteran, be a home grower. So I was all, you know, I know you look, I know you're a big, big guy, home grow. Yeah. Home grow was kind of like gave me the confidence to go back to school. Nice. On my own property. Right. So while I'm in school research and I'm like, well, if I have a license, I can grow my own stuff that is not hemp at mm-hmm. home legally. I was like, that's genius. I can grow at home. So everything I was learning in school, I would apply immediately at home. So I grew, I would clone and I would do like hydroponic versus soil in the same grow environment, same genetics and stuff like that. So I could also teach my students and that pipeline just kept going. Um, And once it was done, you know, I finished my master's, got recruited to go to Cornell University where the USDA's cannabis germplasm collection is um, or North Carolina State. And I ultimately chose North Carolina State, but I do still do work with, um, with Cornell frequently. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that thing at Cornell that you mentioned? So the, the USDA germplasm collection. So that is the largest and oldest collection of cannabis seeds that the U.S. Oh. owns. They have genetics from uh, hemp for victory. Cool. Um, yeah. When the USDA was paying farmers to grow hemp, mm-hmm. um, they have genetics from other countries. They have genetics that have been bred at universities like Cornell and University of Wisconsin and University of Kentucky, NC State, they have all those genetics. So that's what a germplasm collection is. It's a seed bank, essentially. Mm. Um, and that is one of the sources that I have access, you know, at this university that I'm now attending. Very cool. Very cool. Well, that's that's awesome. Um, I'm not I'm trying not to take us on too many tangents. Just your experience. <laughs> uh your experience is like, oh, what do you it makes me want to ask, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But I want to get through your story first, like chronologically, like how we got to where we are today. Uh was that I, I was trying to follow along. Did you did you kind of lead us to where you are today, or was there more? No, uh, that, no, that was it. So after I finished my master's degree, I published my research, got recruited by those schools. I finished teaching um, at Olive Harvey and actually moved to North Carolina last uh, last summer. So now I'm doing my PhD at NC State. And I actually switched over from what I call as a scientist, floral cannabis. Um, I'm now working with fiber um, and grain cannabis because to me, I want to be knowledgeable on every form that exists. Um, I realized I knew a lot about flower, but there's more people with fiber experience than there right. are flower experience. So people who don't know about fiber, you're excluding a large part of the same plant that you're just saying you don't care about. And if I could, maybe there's more to it than this. So please, you know, piggyback off of me here. But would the the main difference between floral and fiber cannabis be that like floral is probably more like, you know, for human consumption but fiber might be more for like industrial purposes, like making hempcrete or something. One thousand percent. Exactly what you just described. And it's just a matter of resources. So plants can only allocate their resources so much towards one goal. So there are certain plants that have been bred where it looks like they have a um, 
a gene that's essentially inactive. So the gene that would make cannabinoids, it mm -hmm. looks like that gene is inactive. And so those plants are just more, they, they produce more fiber. They don't produce cannabinoids on that same uh, high concentrations like we would see in floral cannabis. Also, when we, when we use fiber cannabis, we only use vegetative growth. So we actually harvest at flowering. As soon as we see flowering, we actually harvest. That makes sense. I always wondered why I was actually about to pull up hemp for victory to show like what some of the old the hemp looks like in the the footage because it just looks like tall and stocky and bamboo. Hmm. Interesting. That is bamboo. Yeah, so I mean, if you think about um So like one of the labs or one of the trials that we work on, you know, in, in my lab, one of my one of my lab partners, Sam, she did a density trial. And, you know, just for one variety, this doesn't go for everything. Right. But there was one variety that she found, you know, it grows well at one million plants per acre. So if you just consider like one million plants per acre, that's extremely dense. Yeah. It's like bamboo, like you can't see through. The plots, floral cannabis, you can never do that, right? Because it needs exactly like this. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, we have plants that are 12 to 15 feet in 120 days with no irrigation, no synthetic fertilizers. Yep. And you want them about pencil thick. Wow. Yep. So somewhere between a Sharpie and a number two pencil, which is about what those are. Yeah. They self-thin, organic. don't need a lot of water. They do really well in drought. Um, so I was interested in, in, you know, learning about fiber and grain as well, too, because grain is another one, you know, people don't really know about. Um, Like using it for like animal feed, would that be the idea there? Or yeah, so, you know, for the blood that we consume, we want high cannabinoids. So in yeah, order to do that, we want unpollinated female flowers. Yeah. If those female flowers get pollinated, well, duh, right? We get seeds. Uh huh. Those seeds, right, can actually be used to press because they're super high in fats, like healthy fats, and that's how you get hemp seed oil. Right. So they literally They're like squeeze super rich them. in omega three fatty acids or something like that. Yeah, so exactly what you just said. So if you crack the shells and you take the actual hemp part out, what they call it, that they feed to animals and the um, like chickens. It actually increases the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 in their eggs, which increases the value of eggs for, for farmers. So Texas just approved um, hemp seed for poultry feed. Nice. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but every state operates itself individually. And it's very, very difficult to keep up with different states' policies when they have one towards hemp and one towards marijuana and one towards medical when you got 50 states. Right. And that is one of the topics I was trying to keep my hold myself back on when I saw your credentials and I saw you had so much experience in hemp. And one of the things that you specifically said that I wish I could remember exactly what you said, but you said something to the effect of from a scientist's standpoint, they're all the same genus or what did you say? Something like that. Yeah. So, um, so species, so you want to just, let's, you want to just do this now, just hit this, Yeah. hit this conversation. Yeah. So, uh, Indica sativa, my favorite, favorite conversation to talk about, because you can squash the narrative in 45 seconds. So who came up with the terms Indica and sativa? That's the easiest way to squash the conversation. 
Carl Linnaeus, the guy who made taxonomy, like when we use like genus, species, right. subspecies. Carl like Linnaeus. Uh, made... Real quick for people, Homo sapiens, for example. Right. That's yep. a genus species. Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah. So great example. So cannabis sativa, right? Yep. So um, Carl Linnaeus, the person who made that whole system, um, he was a scientist who studied plants. So cannabis was one of the plants he studied. Now, this was in 1753, and the cannabis he discovered was in Europe. So farmers were already using this for fiber. So he called it cannabis sativa because the word sativa or sativum is Latin for cultivated. Mm. There's tons of plants you can Google, and they have the word sativa afterwards. It's not because they're energizing and give you a head high. <laughs> it's because the word sativa means cultivated. So that's all it means. Now, almost 30 years later, John Baptiste Lamarck was in India. And Lamarck also was like, oh, this looks exactly like cannabis. It's the same flowering structure, but it's a lot shorter. It's a lot bushier. And the Indian people aren't making fiber from it. They are using it for spiritual purposes. They are consuming it. They are, there's a medical aspect to it. So he named it cannabis indica. Indica is obviously right. It means of India. Yeah. Um, and the only the only place it's actually found is in Greek literature, um, Greek and Latin literature. Um, so very easy. Indica means of India. Sativa means cultivated. They don't mean anything else. And everything else we added to them is our opinions. Yeah. And I want to give you more space on this, but just real quick, I'm sorry. Uh, I know I, I feel like and I could Google this right now and I will, but I feel like I know Carl Linnaeus from learning about him in human bio in high school. He was the guy that did stuff with bean plants. They conveniently never told us about his experience on cannabis <laughs> plants, but I believe he did like gene genetic testing on bean plants. Am I wrong on that? I'm uh... Googling right now. I always you might be thinking about Mendel, Gregory Mendel. Yeah, I am Gregory Mendel. I always get I always get them mixed up. Now, why? Now, my second question. I, again, I'm sorry for jumping in the middle of this, but why do I know the name John Baptiste Lamarck? Uh, so he was an evolutionary biologist. Um, Thank you. And he, like I said, he was the one. So this is what I love, and this is why cannabis has such bigger conversations. Mm -hmm. These people, it's not like some random person was like, who came up with the word cannabis sativa? Right. The person who made taxonomy. <laughs> that's the one who came up with the name cannabis sativa all of that so it means something right so let's let's take 30 seconds out to learn that okay so now telling you that they had this was in the 1700s which you just said about dna we didn't know about dna till 1860 mm. so there was no way when the word indica and sativa were used it had anything to do with genetics it is impossible just based on the timeline so that's why as a scientist, it's very fun to just look up facts and you have to piece them together. But indica and sativa came from assumptions. So if they were cultivating it, guess what? That was more like what? Industrial hemp that we were talking about. Yeah. And it is crazy how these cannabis companies, one of the questions you asked, I thought you were going to go in a different way. You you gave the factual answer. When you asked earlier who came up with indica and sativa, I thought I was going to go with the dispensaries. Somebody in the dispensary <laughs> came up with the idea to push it. That that's way. who remixed it. That's, that's who, what I mean. That's who that, remixed thank you. It. Yeah, but th but think about this. It also you kind of see where it started, right? So if hemp or cannabis sativa that was cultivated was in Europe, and indica was in India, and they were using it for medicinal purposes there likely was originally some type of difference where one was mm -hmm. more sedative 
and one was more energizing. However, the researchers that I know that have published these well-cited papers, sativa and indica have no genetic reliability. When you look at the DNA, there's and the DNA is what makes cannabinoids and terpenes, so that's what matters. The DNA says sativa and indica are just words that we use, and there's no genetic reliability. You're better off looking at chemicals and chemical like profiles. Yeah. Well said. Well, just back to the broader topic that I feel like we were about to touch on, just kind of in the same spirit of misconceptions. I feel like right now, and I did actually kind of quote you, yeah, there's this confusion that hemp and what I'm smoking right now is different. And, and I say that because there will be products like this. I bought this. It's a THCA product. And I've had some people understand that this is just weed, but then I've had other people comment and they'll be like, why are you smoking that synthetic stuff, that fake weed? And I, is that frustrating for, me, for you to hear as a person that knows the, the difference? And by difference, I mean lack thereof. Yeah, I mean, let's hit on the Delta 8 and THCA at the same time, because I yes. think it gives two very good contrast. Um, as a researcher, it's actually infuriating because these are chemicals, right? And they actually mean things. And somehow we're widely misinterpreting the purpose of them. Let's start with the purpose, right? Cannabis uh, is a flower. It is in the category of angiosperms, which are flowers. All the flowers you love, roses, sunflowers, same, right? Um, same group of plants. With that being said, all of those plants, when we smell, right, you smell those those pungent odors, those are actually stress responses, mm. right? So all the plants you love to smell, the smell that you are, that they are protruding out into the atmosphere, it could be for pests, it could be for herbivores, it could be for response to high humidity. They are producing these molecules as stress response. Now, what's interesting is when we consume them, what do they do in our body? Stress <laughs> response. Right. It's pretty wild. There's not a lot of molecules that a plant and human use the same. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. when we're talking about a flower, we're talking about these molecules it's producing THCA. The purpose of THCA is a UV protectant. That is its biological purpose. We know because if you think about a rainbow, right, everybody talks about LED lights and full spectrum lights. Uh, Dr. Bruce Bugby out of Utah State University has a really good study where he showed that more red light which is lower energy and a longer wavelength, it makes the plants grow taller because they think they're in shade. It's lower energy. Mm -hmm. So the plants grow a lot taller and have a higher biomass. So you would say, hey, I want to grow in red light because I got a higher bio biomass, higher yield. Guess what? Lower cannabinoid profile. Mm -hmm. The ones that they grew in more blue and more purple lights were way, way smaller. But guess what? Higher cannabinoid yield. So that's why full spectrum with both of those type of lights is undefeated. It is the most optimal. All that to say, THCA is a naturally occurring, it is the naturally occurring form of THC. I tell people THC itself isn't even, you know, produced by the plant. The plant only produces acidic cannabinoids because cannabinoids are toxic to plants. That's why they put them in trichomes. See what I'm saying? So yeah. THCA is natural. Not only is it natural, it's the preferred form that plants make. And when humans consume it, it is 
not active because it still has that A on the end. We all know once it's decarboxylated, it's just THC. Bingo. The loophole issue is the government made the mistake, not us. They said hemp good, marijuana bad. And people asked over and over again when the Delta A stuff popped up. We were like, hey, this is technically hemp CBD dominant flower that's been washed with solvents and now converted into Delta 8. And they were like, hemp good, marijuana bad. We were like, even Delta 8? And then you saw HHC, THCO. And I was like, oh, shit. Because if that's the case, then hemp and marijuana are the same thing. And you, you're saying it. THCA is the proof that now it's all the same thing. So, yeah, yeah. people are always like THCA is synthetic. No, THCA is the naturally occurring form of THC. And this loophole or gray area right now is that if it's not decarboxylated, it's hemp. Because the definition of hemp is based on a number. That's the, you see what I'm saying? That's the right. issue. But the truth is, I was like, if that's the case, then all hemp is legal. Like all marijuana is legal until it's lit on fire or decarved. Right. Or as we this meme, not, I mean, <laughs> right. As this meme says, wait, it's all THCA? It always has been. Oh, man, that's good. Is that from, uh, what's that movie? Oh, man, I can't remember. I can't remember. I just see it as Matthew a McConaughey. Format. Yeah, yeah, the Interstellar. Or what, Interstellar, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that's what it's from, but I, that meme format is just funny. Oh, trust so. me, that's it. I'm a big sci-fi, <laughs> sci-fi fan. But, uh, but yeah, um, so I, that's just been an interesting thing for me. And, and just to kind of put it back to what you said, uh, just try to explain it again shortly for maybe a layman like if you've ever had to make pot brownies the reason you have to decarboxylate as you just said that's the key word there folks if you didn't know what that word means that means to activate the thc in your your product um and i i've personally made the mistake of not doing that um and then you find out like why aren't these brownies giving any effect well i didn't and, let, and let's be clear let's be very clear still a ton of health benefits to consuming raw flour like one of the, my things you know that i talk about is by definition cannabis is a superfood mm. so superfood isn't a legal definition it's an arbitrary word we use for stuff that's rich in like antioxidants vitamins minerals so think about it all the fads we've seen in our lifetime pomegranate avocado like Every year, there's a superfood of the year. It was beets a couple of years ago, like uh, uh -huh. acai berries, right? Yep. So like by definition, not only does cannabis qualify, but it's more diverse than all of those. All of those have a very specific, like pomegranates don't have a hundred different flavor profiles. Pomegranates are pomegranates. Cannabis has all these flavor profiles, which means it has various benefits, Mm -hmm. A lot of various benefits. We thought we were crazy, like, oh, cannabis fixes my grandma's rheumatoid arthritis, but also my little cousin's epilepsy and also my anxiety. It's like, okay, it doesn't fix everything. It's like, it doesn't have to. It produces enough versatile compounds where if we did the research, we could learn a lot more instead of just going, more THC, please. It's like, hey, there's, there's 200 compounds. We should stop focusing on THC. And I think a lot of people right now that's kind of the phase they're in. They want to know more about terps and quality and right. they don't like that. High, they're like, people say, yeah, I smoked something and it gave me a headache. And I ask them where they got it from. I ask them if it's Delta 8. And they're like, oh yeah, this is 
I took a thousand milligram Delta eight gummy. I'm like, Oh man, what? <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. So it's just interesting how it started at now. I guess I should ask you about that. Um, I want to, I'll complete my thought really quick, but I'll round it out to a, a, a question that you just brought up. And I feel like you might be able to actually drop some knowledge on, um, that, that I don't know the answer to like, so this whole, I feel like debate, at least in Illinois got really contentious. And I felt started with this story about students actually purchasing Delta a, and as the story went, they overdosed and such. Um, and it's constantly people point to this story of these kids that, that purchased the Delta eight somehow. And, uh, I am, so the way I saw it was that it started as like a public health safety concern, but then when hemp operators came out and said, Hey, we're willing to meet those standards that you're concerned about. Like, in other words, we will test our products. We will require them to be age, to have an age limit on them. We will even pay taxes. If that's another thing you're concerned about that we're profiting more than, than the other operators. And then instead of it being a conversation about the health concerns, because the hemp operators basically address that, it became a, a debate about open licensing and limited licensing. I don't mean to get into that right now. What I wanted to ask you about is, are there any health concerns? And maybe we don't know all the answers right now, but like, look, I would never prefer to to do Delta 8, but I'll be honest, the first place I ever tried Delta 8 was in an Illinois dispensary. And this was in like 2019 when I had my medical card. Um, and so, you know, that that's a easy anecdote for me to bring up. Um, but I, I'm just curious, like Delta 8, any of these cannabinoids that you've heard about, are there um, health concerns that, that are actually like legitimate? Because I don't mean to downplay them. Um, yeah. Uh, I would say yes. And I hate using sugar as an example, but sugar is one of the best examples I can use. You ready? And the reason is because you can have raw organic sugar cane, super healthy for you, super organic. You can have the refined, purified, bleached, chemicalized version of that. And then you can have the super processed version, which is high fructose corn syrup. Mm -hmm. That's essentially where we are now. You have raw cannabis, you have Delta eight, which comes from raw cannabis, but is you, you know, they use chemicals to make it. And then you have THC, like you have the synthetics, like the K2s and they have the same effect. Like if you look at that scale from raw sugar to refined sugar to high fructose corn syrup, the quality goes down, it's cheaper to make more, and the health effects, the, the health risks go up. So same thing, raw cannabis versus D8 versus HHCO and K2 and those things, the risks go up every time you're adding solvents because there's no testing. Like as a scientist, you need to remove those solvents. I'll tell mm -hmm. you this, more of our food goes through solvent use than you'd probably like to know. But the truth is they have standards to make sure that those solvents are removed from our food before it goes out. In hemp right now, that that residual solvent testing isn't mandatory. Um, so if you're, you know, if Delta Eight is legal because it's hemp, but it also contains residual solvent, the Delta Eight's not what's killing people. It could be the solvent. Right. So that's like, what chemical did you use to convert this CBD structure to THC? And did you get it all out when you were done using it?
and who's making sure that you do before that. I told people, I'm not even saying Delta eight. That's what I'm saying. Delta eight to me is the refined sugar. Right. What is there more of the market? Raw organic sugar or white refined bleach sugar? Bleach sugar. That's the most common form of sugar. So I, a lot of us are like, I want pure solventless. I'm like, okay, so sugar ain't solventless. Coffee ain't solventless. Like those get washed by chemicals before they go out. Like, you know, we're learning a lot of this stuff about our food now. And I think it applies to cannabis. Yeah. Um, I was just trying to find the the pit, the pen that I had tried just because I don't think I've ever shared it. And it it's interesting because they were selling it in another state, but that it doesn't look like they are right now. Um, but I get I get what you're saying. Like if we don't even have tests to like if there are ways to make these substances like THCO or whatever, that we don't even have tests to kind of check and balance to make sure that the chemicals that were used in order to make that conversion are indeed no longer in the conversion, right? Um, so that that's actually a very interesting point that I've never considered, and it goes just way above my head, honestly. Um, but here's the grassroots pen. It was like a 300 milligram uh, Delta-8 oh, yeah. pen. And I mean, this is a cannabis company that's still active in Illinois, and at least within the last year, because I took this picture on September 15th, 2023, and I found it from an out-of-state dispensary. So at least until last year, they were still selling products like these. And um, that that's why when this whole thing came up, I was like, Delta 8, why do I know Delta 8? I feel like I've tried Delta 8. And they were talking about it like it was Satan himself. And they're like, you'd never find anything like that in a dispensary. And I was like, but I found exactly that in a dispensary. Like it was pushed on me in a dispensary in Illinois. You know? Yeah, I remember the first time I saw it in a dispensary. And I don't know if we carried it while I was there, but. Oh, you know what? At the time, I think it was. There was a different cannabinoid that was popping up in pens. Um, well, and see, this is I don't mean to cut you off, but when I got my card in like 2019 or 2018 or wherever it was, I remember going to the dispensary and seeing the posters of all of the cannabinoids and terpenes. And then there would be like little lines saying what they might do and, you know, why they might be used. And I was like, oh, my God, we're living in the future. You know, yeah. so sorry. I, what what were you saying? Uh, that's why I, I just felt like so excited about it. Now it seems like there's a list of demonized cannabinoids. <laughs> Yeah, like so like, you know, I'm actually working on an event right now with some um, some of my, you know, um, I guess I'll call them companions now that are pro athletes in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, I've been very, very blessed and fortunate to spend a lot of time with Ricky Williams, um, just getting to know him, doing yoga and 115 degree temperatures in the mountain, like just really getting to know like what makes, you know, Ricky tick and just kind of getting closer to him, you know, I find out that a lot of people share the very same experience, even these big high level, like, mm, yeah, you know, people and brands. Um, but what you find out is they're also interested in like, what am I putting in my body? What is this Delta eight? What is Delta nine? What is hydroxy 11? What is Delta 10? Like, what are the differences between these things? And they have brands. So they would like to know when people are pitching to them, yo, you know, this cannabinoid, this new cannabinoid, dude, this new cannabinoid is going to be amazing. So the event that we're focusing on is to teach people about everything that's not THC yeah, and the wellness benefits of those. Because I know people whose children have, you know, seizures or autism 
and they're using, you know, pretty a broad spectrum. I hate having to use these words because they don't mean anything. Broad spectrum by definition, meaning full spectrum with the THC removed, um, but still contains all those other compounds, terpenes, flavonoids. People who use those, you know, as like a, you know, like some type of live um, extract, and they have a lot of benefits from it. So I want athletes to start talking about those, not just THC, because our laws are finessing us by taxing more for higher THC, by focusing the consumer on THC when the benefits that we're looking for are in these cannabinoids that we're not learning about. Sorry, I was muted. Uh, one thing that I had uh, sent to you beforehand, which I'm curious, just to kind of do another shift of gears. Um, so, well, just to quickly close that loop, the reason I even went into that was not to be like, I had Delta 8 in a dispensary, just for my listeners. I had Delta 8 in a dispensary, so you can't say it's not bad. I'm not saying that it's good or bad. I personally wouldn't. I don't think I ever prefer to consume it again, but I also don't think that it should be like banned or crack crack, you know, like, I mean, I guess if you, if like you are making the argument that maybe we need to refine our testing on it, I could be open to that to make sure that some of these like harmful chemicals aren't in my Delta eight gummy. If I happened to choose to purchase one, um, but, but again, just to round out the point, the reason I even brought up that stuff and I'm glad you recalled other products you know, other cannabinoid, you know, focused products is because when I first was introduced to legalized cannabis, it was this idea that in, in the new age of cannabis, you do embrace the whole plant. And there are so many different uses for all these different cannabinoids. And it's just so weird in this debate. It's gotten very contentious regarding hemp and cannabis. How, again, I feel like there's almost a list of demonized drugs and like let's say there is a way to create clean delta 8 and it works very well for certain conditions i'm sure there's still going to be damage done from the stigma that has been raised maybe rightfully so because you brought up some really interesting points uh but i i always think that i would just wish that when people in the broader policy had these conversations that they had them to the level of nuance that we're having it right now you know what i mean you're not criticizing the Trust me, as a scientist. That's my number one desire <laughs> is that does does our policy govern what type of science we can do or does our science govern what type of policy we end up writing? Yeah. And to put it in a bottle, it's like you weren't you. We aren't criticizing the molecules itself. We're not also put it lifting them up. We're simply saying that, like. They should just be safe if you're going to consume them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And my thing is like, absolutely. I agree with everybody. If the whole world had access to plants and it was always safe and it was unregulated. Oh, yeah. That sounds great. But realistically, based on like what we're seeing now, it's like, okay, so Walgreens is going to be certified if they go schedule three to possibly right have some type of synthetic derivative. Um, Cause the three forms of cannabis that are legal right now, Epidiolex, Sativex, and Marinol, those three, those three FDA approved drugs, they're synthetic. Right. 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 And those are what are prescribed now. So I think like I always have my dream world, but I have to be very objective as a researcher. Like if the FDA has approved three synthetic drugs, they're not adverse to synthetics the way, you know, those of us who are like, 
No. I love the plant. We love the plant, but the government's like synth synthetic drugs. That's an industry. It's called pharmaceuticals. Like, I mean, kind of started your story with it, the how you were kind of pushed into. I mean, that's it right there, you know, because arguably and I know this is a completely different tangent, so I don't want to take too long on this. I want to actually talk about the entourage effect here in a second, um, which I don't know that. I think people are going to find that conversation interesting, um, but um Damn it. We were just talking about, oh, uh, I was going to say that, you know, arguably maybe I know this might be a leap for you and maybe you didn't expect this. So, you know, but maybe if you had access to like actual opium instead of fucking pharmaceutical, like you just said with the sugar analogy, like what's better, the the plant or the synthetic form? And opium has been used sacramentally uh, or as a sacrament rather for for ages you know and, and it seems to be maybe coming back but it, it it has endured a lot of stigma due to heroin and fentanyl and everything else so i do, do you get my point that i'm trying to make there yeah no absolutely and i mean i think the entire point that interested me in doing research in cannabis is when i found out like hey most of the information you're given is drug information we're not given a lot of plant information on cannabis so when we hear THC, right, we're talking about THC from a human consumption standpoint, which is drugs. But we're not talking about from this plant standpoint, like, hey, I had indigenous, uh, you know, I've heard indigenous farmers say, you know, poppy was just fine. And then you all started trying to synthesize it. Tobacco was just fine. And then you all started synthesizing nicotine. So they were like, every time we have a crop that's okay, you all monocrop it, mass produce it, and then try to synthesize a, a, a non-organic version of it, and people start getting sick. And then the crop gets, oh, tobacco's evil. Technically, no, it's really not. There are indigenous people that have used tobacco. They have hallucinogenic tobacco that they use for like spiritual ceremonies. I heard this. I was like, uh, is that true? Yeah, tobacco has nicotine, and you yeah. have nicotine receptors in your body naturally. But when you start adding all that other stuff that's in cigarettes, guess what? Now you got your HHCO, you got your, right? That's the uh -huh. super synthetic version. So that's what I'm just like, no matter what happens, we need to keep quality in mind. We need to keep, there are certain people that can't take the health risk, right? So we do need to have the organic certified, hey, this grow is not exposed to any pesticides, no herbicides, like, I think those growers should be protected by the USDA. They protect heirloom squash and tomato growers. Why not protect heirloom, you know, uh, cannabis growers? Yeah, exactly. Well said. Well, to start this next conversation, I want to play a clip. Uh, and I sent you the the podcast. I don't know if you got a chance to see it beforehand. If not, it's oh, you did cool. Um, I'll just play like a short moment of this, um, but. I want to preface this with my beliefs just so that people don't like click out, like misunderstand. So I, I, and I think I can speak for Sam as well. I, I actually ended up having the chance to have lunch with Sam in, in Denver. And um, it's not that we dispute the presence of the presence of uh, terpenes. In fact, I really love like lemony strains I love like gassy strains. Like I'm always looking for like the, the, the old fashioned, just skunk, like the offensive, like, yeah, I totally get it and I value it and I love it when my weed tastes. What we're talking about though, is like the effects that people often attribute to those 
tastes and smells, I, I think is a good way to, to at least frame this, this clip. And so uh, I'm going to play the clip and then I'd love to hear your uh, thoughts on this since you did have a chance to check it out. But just for context for our listeners, here we go. <laughs> so that they know yeah. what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So this tweet that I put out and actually, you know, as I tweeted this, I forgot that I tweeted something similar maybe like a year ago when I, I just read some bad science in this space um, and I'd formulated it a different way and it got the same amount of, of backlash and I completely entirely forgot that this always happens every time you put this tweet out because some people are really just really married to this idea. Yeah. Um, but the tweet was, you know, the quote entourage effect is just astrology for pharmacologists. And some people agreed and some people very, very strongly disagreed with that statement. Um, yeah. I liked, I liked <laughs> this oh, one. This, that's this amazing. Is... So that's actually my buddy, Mike Cunningham. He's a chemist too. He's, he's a brilliant guy. He works for a psychedelics company called Gilgamesh at the moment. Um, and I, I laughed very hard when he posted that <laughs> yeah. sort of my, my feeling on the matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for your listeners, it's just, a. um, a so, um, that's a really short way. And, and honestly, you know, if you just look at that tweet, I feel like it doesn't really get on into the nuance of what he believes. So I encourage you to check out episode number 198 of the Chillinois podcast, if you'd like to hear the full episode, but since you had a chance, Steve, uh, do you mind telling me like what you thought about the the his perspective rather i'm curious it's been a while since i've talked to anybody about this so yeah so this is actually a common debate um and i know where to stay neutral on some topics and this is one <laughs> of them but i will give you what both sides are because it's something people are really passionate about yeah i think one of the benefits that i have in being a young cannabis researcher in a new field is right the man who discovered thc and cbd he just passed last year or the year before so like the researchers in our field, a lot of them are still alive. Um, the term entourage effect, at least from what I've seen, it's been quoted to Dr. Ethan Russo. Um, Ethan Russo is a well-known um, doctor. He used to work with GW Pharmaceuticals. He's kind of like the guy, one of the guys. Um, now I've heard other schools of thoughts that say it used to be called ensemble effect. And then somebody switched the term to entourage effect. Um, now, this is what I'll tell you. Why is it called specifically entourage effect? It means that if you're in the room, you know, if you and I are sitting in the room right now and we're talking, we're going to have one type of conversation. That is the effect. If a third person walks in that we don't know, it changes how you and I interact with each other. That's the entourage effect. So every chemical that's there and the presence that they're in all changes how the, like what the outcome is and what the effect is. So like, as much as he says, like, yes, that's astrology and so on and so forth. Um, you know, astrology was still a matter of record keeping, right? Like there was science to it. So I'll put it like this. The entourage effect, ensemble effect, more cannabinoids have different effects. Like that is true. How to standardize that to his point? Psh, no clue. Like sour diesel is never going to be the same every time you consume it. I don't care. If you grow it, I don't care if your favorite grower grows it, it will be slightly different every time because it's a living organism. And unless it lived in the exact same conditions with the same, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think yeah. his point, because I drilled, I actually did ask about different cannabinoids because I was like, we will, like, his point is he studied it at the receptor level and he said that your your cannabinoid receptors cannot process terpenes. So I don't 
so it was interesting, like uh, the idea that it's like, yes, different cannabinoids might be processed, but like the limonene itself is not going, you know, I think is his point. Um, yeah, but the thing is, so what's very funny is isolated terpenes have documented effects, like a lot of them. And just to give you an example, take cannabis out the like take think about every plant we know, but get rid of cannabis for a second. I know that's like impossible, right? For us to think of any other plants that exist. Um, basil, right? Um, anything that has a really potent smell, these herbs, these are all terpenes. When you cut into some parsley, bait, right, all those herbs and spices that you have, Lemons. those are terpenes. Yeah, and the thing is, unlike cannabis, most of them have one primary terpene. Right. So because they have one primary terpene, people know that lemons typically make people feel this way. Why? Because lemons are primary limonene, right? Pine is rich in alpha-pinene, which is a bronchodilator. So the terpenes themselves, themselves, isolated. They do have known effects. The issue is in cannabis, those same terpenes that we're used to knowing they're acting different because there's an entourage. It's like, hey, bro, normally when I see you, you don't act like this. It's like, oh, well, you saw alpha pinene with beta caryophylline and myrcene and linalool, and now you have no clue what type of effect you're going to get. But the truth is, imagine if there was something I could say, hey, Cole, what are you about to do? I'm about to go swimming. I want something that's going to increase my lung capacity, give me energy, and reduce my stress. This is the exact chemical profile. Okay, right. I want to go relax and I want to go watch Netflix and eat some food and fall asleep 30 minutes afterwards. Here's the profile for you. There's there's no reason that we can't possibly get there one day. Right. I think and one of the things he did concede we we talked about some of those studies that you talked about where terpenes do have a physiological effect and what he was saying is that yes indeed they do, but the concentrations in those studies are not anything akin to what you would find in cannabis. So it's like, maybe yes, we'll get there. And dude, people are coming up with some really terpy stuff nowadays to where it's like 5%, 8%. So, I mean, it's becoming statistically significant, a st statistically significant part of the product. So, I mean, maybe there's something to it, but I guess what he was saying is like, it's just so often not, it's such trace amounts um, and back to the astrology thing, I don't even know if he was disputing that astrology was record keeping more so that it was to make the analogy. I think, I don't mean to speak for Sam on this, but the reason it, that res, I should ask him what exactly he meant by that. Cause he just ended up talking about his, uh, his research. W the reason that resonated with me and I laughed with it is not because I dispute that astrology, like that you can like like that there's like some something behind it. My girlfriend and people I know will look at like this newspaper and be like, this is the reason I'm having a bad week. And it's like, bro, I could write this shit up. Like that's pseudoscience. Like, yeah. That's what, yeah, most, yeah. what most people like at his level. I figured he was like making a reference without when you say the word pseudoscience, that's kind of like an accusation. So you don't want to say that. But to uh -huh. what you just said, like, Oh yeah, well Mercury's in Gatorade right now. So <laughs> Thank I, you. <laughs> I stubbed my toe, and it's just like uh, Mercury's in Gatorade. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, just like you know, like could there be something to it? Sure, but the way that we say it, no. So that's kind of like the entourage effect. Could there be something to it? Likely. The way that we currently say it, unlikely. Yeah. Well said. Well, I knew I knew we would have a. Uh, uh, a good conversation regarding that. And uh, like you say, it's definitely 
a contentious issue. I just want to, I just like, as an outsider, I feel like I'm in a weird spot where it's like, I'm acknowledging that I love terpenes and that they are indeed there. I mean, they show up on tests. You can see them, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not that they're not there. I just dispute that like the lemon strain, like I'm just like, whenever I smoke a lemon strain versus like a skunky strain, I'm just like, yeah, this is good weed. You know, and like sometimes the smell will take me back, like the skunky ones, especially. Man, this is like when I first started smoking, you know, and I guess I get a but feeling lemon, of nostalgia off of that. But like, you know, lemon, pine and mint are very inviting for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I have narcolepsy. So like I'm actually a high energy person. But when you have narcolepsy, you know, you have to watch your energy levels because you could just like crash really quickly. I'm on medicine now. I've gotten older, but. My friend told me one day, he said, you're the only person I know who consumes cannabis to stay awake. And I was like, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. And the reason I started is because I heard the cannabis works for epilepsy. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I have a neurological condition with no, there's no cure for it. And as soon as I heard people with epilepsy were reducing their seizures by like 90, you know, 95, 98%, I was like, I'm willing to try cannabis. Everybody kept saying THC is going to make you sleepy. THC is going to make you sleepy. And, you know, sometimes it does. But I did find that, you know, before stuff got crazy, when I lived in Illinois and I grew sours, I grew hazes, I grew diesels, like very like uplifting, energizing cultivars. I was like, you can consume this and go clean your house. Like you don't have to right. pass out and get late. It's like, hey, I hate washing the dishes, but. You know, it's nicer when I'm in a better mood and my legs and my back don't hurt. And mm -hmm. so I found that very interesting. You know, I actually used to eat. I used to put fresh flour in my tea in the morning. So whatever I was consuming, I would also consume raw bud because that was the only way to make sure I got the raw and the dry. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I can consume them together. And I mean, to this day, knock on wood, like I never got COVID or anything like that. Um I don't know if you've seen the paper. People dispute it, but it's a real paper. It's been cited a lot. It's got over 45,000 views, but the paper is um, somebody during COVID took a human cell and put it in a Petri dish, and they injected it with CBGA. Mm. So the precursor to THC, everything, CBGA yeah. and CBDA, so the acidic versions, non-decarbed. He injected it into human cells and then he injected those cells with the COVID virus. And the virus can only affect you if it binds, like it has to meet at a certain place. CBGA and CBDA prevented the virus from finding that place where it could latch on. What does that mean? Antiviral. Yeah. So we hear antiviral and doesn't know what it means. But when that molecule stops the virus from making you sick, that is the definition of an antiviral property. So there's a great paper that says COVID-19 um, levels reduced, um, entry levels reduced by CBD and CBGA. Highly cited, like, please look it up. I think it's something everybody should know. Um, but that's why I'm like, it's not just THC anymore. We really got to look at these 200 cannabinoids, you know, hundreds of terpenes and flavonoids and esters and everything. Yeah. Is, is this it? Sorry to if it's not we yep, don't have to go that is it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, Forty five thousand views, forty six citations. Yeah. So, folks, if you want to check this out, I'm showing you the how you can find it. I'll read it, uh, the headline for our listeners. If you want to Google it, 
cannabinoids block cellular entry of SARS-CoV-2 and the emerging variants. Um, I found it on pubs.acs.org. Um, so hope you can find it. And oh, yeah, I'll throw the link in the podcast description so that, that you can easily just look in the podcast description and do your own research. And for reference, just so everybody knows, ACS is the American Chemical Society. They are the governing body for chemicals. So this was like a major, this is a major thing. This didn't go to like some small journal. Um, this was a, a massive breakthrough at the time. And yeah, I, I heard, a, you know, some statements from the person who, you know, whose research this was. And, you know, they thought it was going to be a game changer. Like, even when you read it, it's just like, is this real? Like, why didn't anybody know about this? And the truth was, it just kind of faded, faded away into the dark. So if you see that picture over there, it is like a cannabis leaf, right? Yeah. To your right. And then you see CBDA. And then you see the COVID protein with those spikes. Mm -hmm. And then you see the next word says block cell entry. So yeah, all they did was that pro that that SARS protein, that picture, it wasn't able to infect the cells because CBGA and CBDA were there. Wow. So that shows where we're really going with this. Like people say antioxidants are antiviral, but they don't realize like these natural plant compounds, the ones that are legal. The ones that we skip over every day. We say CBD, CBD ain't shit. CBGA ain't shit. I don't want THC. Give me 100% THC. I want THCA diamonds. I'm doing dabs. It's like, okay, that's great that we've been there. But at some point, like, everybody can't consume inhalable products. Some people do need other versions, whether it's a beverage or an edible, topical, tincture, vaporizer, uh, subdermal. I can keep going, right? Um but we also have to realize it's not just the way you administer or the dose. It's the formula or recipe or concentration of cannabinoids and terpenes and different things. And I do think, you know, I don't think we'll be saying entourage effect, but I do think people will be looking the same way they do. Uh, I'm looking for a bourbon. I'm looking for a brandy. Yeah. You don't walk into the liquor store and say, can I have your strongest alcohol? Right. They'd be like, hey, bro, what are you talking about? Your strongest yeah. alcohol. That's what I'm looking to purchase. What's the highest percentage? Yeah. What are you trying to clean, bro? Yeah. That, so that's what like, I would no, add. You know, Honestly, you when I go for? and exactly when I go to the liquor store and get like Everclear, which I think is like 95% alcohol, I, it's never for consumption. It's always for like cleaning the bong or something. <laughs> to your yeah, point, absolutely. you would so die. Of, you know? Yes. But that's one of those things like, but it's normal to say, what's the highest THC you got? Right. You got 35, you got, oh, you got any 40s? And it's just like, A, is this accurate? Let's just start there. Is mm -hmm. the testing accurate? Is this really 40% flower? And then B, like, what are you going for at that point? Are there any terps at all? Are you just consuming THC by itself? Because, you know, it's been shown there are adverse effects of just consuming high THC with nothing else. Because that's not how it's made. It's made with other chemicals for a reason. Mm. Now you go ahead and you blow off all the terpenes that it was supposed to be with, and you're like max THC. That's it. And yeah. we don't know what the consequences of that are versus the raw flour. Yeah. Well, uh, Steve, if people want to, I'm sure that there will be. Um, I, I'm not sure in what capacity you do this. Maybe it's just social media or something. But if people want to, like connect with you and or support you what would be the best avenue for that 
Yeah, um, I tell everybody to reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's where I do a lot of my business communicating. Um, also helps me filter out people who just want to ask for free information. Um, but yeah, anybody who's serious about inquiring on partnerships, I'm doing a lot of stuff right now with athletes, mental health, wellness, veterans. Obviously, those are my passions. Um, and we're always looking for brands and collaborators and different things in different cities. So, yep, Stephen C. Philpot Jr. on LinkedIn. Philpot is P H I L. P-O-T-T, -T, two T's. Um, yeah, and if you find me on LinkedIn, you'll see all my information, my educational post and work that I have coming up this year. Yeah. Yeah. And would you mind if I put, if you don't want me to, it's okay, but you sent me like a presentation. Is that all right if I put that in the podcast description or is that not something you really just blast out? I don't even know what it's, oh, are you talking about my pitch deck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pitch deck. I don't even know what these things are, but it was just cool. Oh, had... yeah. Uh, that's, that's for you. That's for you. Cool. Richie. I understand. Yeah, you well, can, I mean, uh, if people request it, you can send it to them though. Sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah. yeah. If you want the pitch deck, I guess hit me up, but hit up Steven <laughs> first. Uh, so, uh, anyways, though, I, I had a lot of fun today. I would like to do this again with you, especially like, as you said at the very beginning, this thing changes year to year, you know, our whole understanding could flip and you're, you're, fingers on the pulse on all these things. So I think it would be uh, really awesome to reconnect with you as time goes on. Uh, you know, if you have something that comes up that you want to promote, always reach out to me. But I guess what I'm saying is you'll definitely hear back from me um, to come back on. I'd love to do this again. Appreciate that. Also, uh, two things just to say. So I was recently elected to the board of the Minority Cannabis Business Association. And I'll also be writing for Sports Cannabis Inc., which is a literal magazine uh, lifestyle brand around sports and cannabis. So those two things this year, I'll be kind of like, as the scheduling happens, I want to sure. make sure that we're still doing impactful things that will be resilient no matter what. So um, those are two types of organizations and brands people can like follow me with. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for continuing to fight, uh, you know, fight for the good fight as they say and um yeah please do keep in touch and I, I guess just before we go were there any specific bases that that we didn't uh discuss today that that you wanted to uh i want to give you the space before we go um no i think you know i think people should go ahead and follow me on linkedin because i'll be sharing my updates on some of the branding and stuff that's going on this year but yeah think uh sports performance wellness and mental health uh, is going to be a really good year to talk about those things and um, where cannabis and even functional mushrooms, we could talk about another time um, yes. where those things lie on the spectrum. So, yeah. I'll hold you to that next time we're talking mushrooms. All right. Yeah, I you. <laughs> Steve, take care, folks. I hope you found as much value in this conversation as I did. We'll see you in the next episode. See ya.